Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with your WWE Day 1 Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back for episode 249 as we break down the week that was in the world of WWE and preview the upcoming pay-per-view for the company, the very first show anywhere in 2022, WWE Day 1. We will get to all of that a little bit later in the show. We begin, of course, as we always do, as we have for maybe not all 249 episodes, but the vast majority of these 249 episodes of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by reminding you that this show... So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Manini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leaving a five-star rating on Apple. Please also leave a review. Let people know how much you love this podcast. We asked for 100 five-star reviews on Spotify. We want our show to get seen. Well, I'll tell you, in only a couple episodes of Asking, we're already up to 67, all five stars. I appreciate you guys doing that. We need 33 more, okay? So I know there's tons of you who listen to us on Spotify. It legitimately takes five seconds. You go to the show page. I'm looking at it right now. You hit the three dots. I'm doing it. You hit rate show. Then you hit five. That's it. Three clicks. You're done. We have a five-star rating. Please, please, when you have the opportunity, do that on your mobile device or on desktop. I believe you can just click the fifth star and you're good to go. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We have a huge week of shows coming and you do not want to miss them every single time we post a new episode. The first thing we do is release it on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We also try to tweet live during all the major wrestling shows. The Silver King has not been able to do that over the last week due to work due to my favorite NFL team, the Miami Dolphins, being on Monday Night Football. I had to give my full concentration to that on Monday. But most times, again, the vast majority of weeks and days, the Silver King is tweeting live during those shows. We're also sharing news, videos, GIFs, fun things, uh, covering wrestling throughout the week. So do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, this is officially the final WWE show of 2021. We have the Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. Coming up on Wednesday, that is our 250th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And then on Thursday, we're going to have our normal AEW and NXT show. But this is the final WWE show of the year. And I'll tell you, the history of this podcast, The uh, I guess it's, what, one year and nine-month history of this podcast. It's been the weirdest time in professional wrestling. COVID in, COVID out, COVID in, COVID out. It never really stopped, uh, of course, the pandemic, but it's been ravaging professional wrestling wrestling, and drastically affecting uh, the product and what some of these companies are doing. And here we are at the end of another year, and it's doing it again with the Omicron variant popping up. WWE this week, uh, you know, some news that we want to start the show off with. It seems like it had a significant number of talent 
test positive for COVID-19. Of course, they don't release um, that information like a sports league would, and the talent mostly are keeping to themselves and not sharing it. But it seems like about 15 or so superstars got COVID-19. I'm not going to list every name for sure, but obviously Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch were two who were either infected or at least quarantined themselves because of close contact. Biggie and Bobby Lashley were off Raw. Roman Reigns has not recently been on uh, the house shows. Now, that could be precautionary, of course. Hopefully, he doesn't have it. Live events, including the MSG Christmas show, had significant card changes. The Raw roster from Monday Night Show was extremely thin. It seems at least some of the matches on this day one card that has been built up as a very big pay-per-view for WWE are at least in jeopardy. We're not going to know. Because again, WWE would not announce match changes ahead of time. We're not going to know until Saturday. So Raw was handicapped significantly on Monday. But unlike other times when WWE is shorthanded or has their back against the wall, I didn't really think they came through with a great show. And which is that's what they normally do. They normally their backs against the wall. They just they figure it out and they put on really good television. I didn't think we got that in Monday, but we're in a difficult position. Uh, WWE is, of course. The world is with the Omicron variant uh, running rapid. And we are doing this show because we basically need to preview a pay-per-view that we don't know if it's going to go on as planned. So that's kind of how I wanted to open today and uh, set the stage and then see what you thought about that. Yeah, in, in some ways, it feels like we're getting back to where we were when this podcast started. Right. Uh, I, the, the things were, I think, I think when I, I haven't gone back and listened to the first episode, but I think. I think the shutdown had happened. I think it was leading into WrestleMania. It was yeah. in the performance center when I when I when I first started on here. And yeah, this is, you know, you know, in the summer we thought we were past COVID and then things started to come back with Delta and now it's coming back in a bigger way with Omicron, which is clearly more transmissible but also hopefully less uh severe. Right. But you know, we, we, you know, we don't obviously nobody wants to go back to no fans and anything. Nobody wants to go back to shutdowns of any kind. So wrestling's kind of got to find this balance here because we're, we're quickly seeing NFL teams and college teams. This is hitting everybody quickly. And so they have to have a plan in place to kind of adjust on the fly. So, yeah, we're going to preview day one here, but we're still, you know, five days out from the show. Who knows? Who knows what could change between now and then? Yeah, and you're seeing NFL, NBA, and college conferences, the Power Five conferences, all adjust their COVID rules and what they require for testing if you're vaccinated versus unvaccinated. In WWE, I you know they never came out and said it, but it seems like vaccination was mandatory based on many of the stories we heard coming out of the last set of uh, releases. But at the same time, there was a report on Monday from Fightful, from Sean Ross Sapp, that WWE is no longer testing for COVID. Now, that's completely unconfirmed at this point. There were a couple other outlets, including Dave Meltzer, who said he was going to look into it and then never came up with any information. I contacted WWE personally to get a statement to get some information. Didn't get a response. Usually they'll at least respond and say, got nothing for you right now. Um, I got nothing. Like They just didn't, they ghosted me. Didn't even answer. I find it hard to believe that there is they went from twice a week testing to no testing at all, or once a week testing to no testing at all. I assume that they are adopting 
a strategy similar to what the NFL and NBA did. These leagues have seen a ton of players be unable to play, many of them vaccinated and asymptomatic. And I think generally, if you are vaccinated and asymptomatic, the idea is that you can kind of go about doing things. It's less likely that you transmit it, even though there is still a possibility. Um, So all these things, we just don't really exactly know what's happening with WWE. But the one thing I will say is, I mean, your top star in your company, Roman Reigns, basically didn't return to WWE and was out for an extended period of time when COVID hit because he's immunocompromised as he has had leukemia twice and and recovered from it twice. Um, So he's being exceptionally careful. And now you're potentially going to stop testing when that guy's your top star and clearly your main event of WrestleMania. I don't know that I necessarily believe WWE is that stupid. They do a lot of dumb things and they do a lot of things that make them look like an evil corporation. Um, I don't think completely stopping testing to me is, is the move they made. I feel like something got lost in translation, but it is one report. It's a, a, a source, um, meaning a new source, Fightful, Sean Ross app. That is extremely accurate. So I have no reason not to believe them, but it's just, I don't know. I, I If you're Roman Reigns and you find out that even though everyone's vaccinated, that your company is completely stopping testing, are you showing up? Like, are you dropping this title at day one? Are you telling them, you better take the title off me because I'm not coming to TV? And if you're WWE, do you say, okay? <laughs> like, we're, we're not going to test. And yeah, sure, drop the title. Like, I, I don't know. It all seems weird to me. Yeah, you know, what the NFL has moved to is what college football has done all year, and it's testing less. What it is is it's testing. What college football did all season was they only tested unvaccinated players and then vaccinated players who showed symptoms. And right. If any, and if any of them tested positive, then you would test any of their close contacts. Um, so so there, there's been a some reaction to the NFL theoretically testing less, you know, while COVID's rising, but it's not really about that as much. It's more about asymptomatic and close contacts. It's it's still, it's still a lot of what is recommended. That's what the CDC recommended back in uh, the summer. So, and the other part of this is that yesterday on Monday, the CDC recommended lowering the isolation period for COVID positives if you're asymptomatic from 10 days to five. Well, that's going to help. It is 10 days to five days in terms of the isolation. But the other five days of that 10, you're supposed to wear a mask. You're you're supposed to wear a mask around people. Yes. Right. So, So, I mean, unless half of the roster is going to wear masks in the ring, which, I mean, theoretically they could, but it's an athletic competition. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. And and the CDC is not law. It's a recommendation. I'm sure Right. Right. You know, we could see them say five days is fine. I, you know, we'll see. Anyway, it, it's basically still, yeah, it's still a lot to be known. I, I doubt that WWE is doing no testing for all the reasons you just said. Although, no, to your, but to your point, though, if the rule for the NFL and, and what college has been doing is that if you're vaccinated and are asymptomatic, you just not showing symptoms, you don't get tested. Well, if the whole WWE roster is vaccinated then really they would only test people who show symptoms. Right. right. And if so, if they're ending weekly testing and they're only testing people who are symptomatic, that is in line with the NFL and college football 
you know, I think yeah. a lot of people look for reasons to shit on WWE and there's plenty legitimate ones. But if they're doing the same policy that the National Football League, which has a far larger market cap than WWE does, um, if they're doing that, I, I don't know how you can really argue with it. Yeah, no, th- th- you know, this is different. This is different than the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't know a lot of things when we didn't have vaccinations. And you and I said on this podcast, hey, I'm kind of uncomfortable with watching these people face to face wrestling or Ric Flair being backstage and stuff like that. So it, it is a different time than it was. And, and, and that's important as well. I just think we need to know when it comes to the testing and when it comes to what WWE's procedures or lack thereof may be. I think we need to know, you know, a a more substantial report than just kind of something that's usually come secondhand via a wrestler who like received a memo and may not have understood it, you know, you know, completely. But yeah. And and, yeah. And more than anything, we just, we just want people to be safe, especially people to be safe who is immunocompromised. And I am sure that they are doing what they can to keep him safe. Right. Like I just I I would find it very difficult to believe that they would change a policy that would result in their top star no longer being able to no longer feeling comfortable to come to TV that that which unless unless they're planning to have them drop the title, which, you know, that's a conversation we can get into. But it does make sense to kind of think about everything that went down later in the show as we do go through our ultimate preview and look at each match. It's like, well. Biggie, Lashley, and Rollins were at the show. They all said they're going to be there. What if one of them isn't, right? Like, does that change who we think is going to win the title or, or, or retain the title? So I don't know. We got a lot to talk about. The last thing here, um, Raw was really disappointing to me. I thought seeing what they put on television, the matches they booked, all they really needed to do was do the exact same show they put on, but let the matches run long and let the really good wrestlers wrestle. And I thought it would have been a far better show than the one we got. There were just so many matches that were three or four minutes where you're like, man, if you're trying to like waste time, which the first segment of the show was to waste, it was a 30 minute segment, you know, just to finish a a three minute match and a four minute match. If you're trying to like extend segments and waste time, why don't you just let your wrestlers wrestle? I I couldn't understand (laughs) what they were doing Monday. Yeah, it, 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 there was, you know, we've, I've, I've pointed this out on some recent episodes and it was extremely evident on this Raw where they do entrance, commercial. Yes. Uh, <laughs> commercial. It, backstage interview video segment, package, video package. In, in, uh, a yeah. second intro. And then sometimes they went to another commercial. Right. So we would we'd go, we'd go double commercial weeks before a match even started. And it's like, just give us the rest. They the literally, wrestling. they literally, they really, twi- not, they really try to show you as little wrestling as possible. Forget even the matches twice on this episode. They did AJ Styles live, like, like he AJ Styles live coming up. And then like the next uh, break, you know, or the next segment, they would do a match or something. And then AJ Styles would make his entrance. Then they'd go to commercial. They would come back. They would do a, an advertisement for WrestleMania tickets. Then they would do a backstage interview. Then they would do a video package of what happened last week. Then they'd show AJ in the ring. Then he'd start cutting a promo. People would come out. Then they go to commercial break and they come back and he's fighting Apollo Crews. And we're going to get into that whole thing in a little bit. But like they did that with AJ. They did it with Owens. And like you said, they did it uh, with matches too. They did it with the Street Profits Mysterios match. Like the Profits made their entrance. And like eight minutes later, the Mysterios made their entrance. And then Mm -hmm. the match started. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it feels like it's a lot of effort to not show wrestling. It, 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 you know what? It actively feels sometimes like they are trying not to show us wrestling. Yeah. It, it, it seems to me, I, I, I do, it seems absolutely clear from this, which seems they're doing this more in recent weeks than they ever had before, is that, and, and maybe the data shows this, I don't know, they think long matches cause people to change the channel. Or they think and, that if you, people are so interested in the wrestling that they're willing to wait for it to begin and watch the other stuff in between. Like, oh, wow, Profits Mysterios, that's a match I'd really like to see. I'm going to stick around through eight minutes, four minutes of commercial, four minutes of non-wrestling, just so I can get, see the start of the match. And then I'm going to stay tuned through the end of the match. Like, Yeah, I, I like, yeah, I, I'm sure there's some data behind it, but... Man, like, if you think showing wrestling is the problem for your wrestling show, then, then you've got some you got uh, issues. Uh, yeah. You've got some other issues going on. And by because, the way, and by the way, WWE goes through phases, right? Like they yeah. go remember through the, phases. Remember the two, out, the two out of three falls era. They, remember that one? Correct. Where where they didn't want wrestling to happen during commercials, so they either did a two out of three falls match, or they had to stop a match and restart it, and they did it mm-hmm. all the time. Or they would do an elimination match. That was a phase. They did a phase of the. Uh, social media promos directly to the camera that were so bloody awful that they eventually stopped them and they went back to the normal way of doing it. Well, remember they had like the Comic Sans MS font and all that really weird shit that they did. So they go through phases where like they try out things that piss off their audience and they always wind up going back to the way it normally was. Yeah. But man, maybe they're getting it out of their system now. WrestleMania season is going to start. Uh, did I call it WrestleMania season? WrestleMania season is going to start soon. Uh, let's just hope they go back to normal television booking, whatever that is these days for WWE. All right, Chris, we got a lot of show left. Let's get it started with everything that happened this week in WWE that did not have to do with the day one pay-per-view. And we're going to go through that in the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, so we're going to start with SmackDown, and then we're going to go to Raw. I, I tried to do things almost as much in order as possible. SmackDown opened with the SmackDown Women's Championship match, Charlotte Flair against Tony Storm. We've been waiting for this, bated breath for weeks. Uh, Flair dominated early and bullied Storm with trash talks and slaps. Flair missed her double moonsault, like, for the third time in a row. And Storm again sold like she hit it, which was just silly. Storm avoided natural selection, hit a German suplex. Flair locked in the figure four and screamed for Storm to tap, but Storm reversed it and got to the ropes. Charlotte then did the roll up with the rope grab, which now her and Becky apparently do in every match, but the referee caught her. Storm came up short on three different pinning combinations and Flair reversed the last one into a cradle for the one, two, three in 15 minutes. So, you know, I thought, I guess this was a good wrestling match. They were given plenty of time. But it was just lackluster, and the finish to me was frustrating. The biggest issue across everything was the crowd, which did not pop for anything they did. And I don't exactly blame them. I mean, I hate when the crowds don't react, but that's like the normal WWE crowd these days. But when you come into this match, Storm's gotten TV time, but fans haven't been given any real reason to rally behind her as a babyface. It's one thing to want Charlotte to lose, And it's another to actively want the person challenging her to win. For example, fans want Liv Morgan to beat Becky. And Liv hasn't even been built that well. But they at least are rooting for Liv. Fans here were kind of just interested to see the match. 
They weren't rooting for Storm to beat Flair like they should. And on top of all that, Chris, the wrestling was slow. It was not really an action-packed match. I think both of them are far better wrestlers than what we got here, them going head-to-head. So I'll say good because it certainly wasn't bad, but I didn't give it any more than three stars and a B-. minus. Well, in the other part, this wasn't live, right? This was recorded after Raw Correct. the previous Monday. So, you know, the crowd Smackdown, had already been yeah. there for three hours of wrestling, maybe more. No, it was after SmackDown. So it was, they did a double was, SmackDown taping. Okay, so it was a week yeah. prior. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, So it had, so they'd been through a lot. And, and so I, I get that a little bit. But I thought the wrestling was fine. I liked the finish. I, I really liked the idea that Charlotte just won because she was smarter. Like, you know, we, we talked about coming in, like, we knew Char- Tony wasn't going to win the belt on a Christmas Eve SmackDown. So I think you thought maybe it was a DQ and we get a rematch of some kind. I like that Charlotte just outsmarted the rookie, essentially, by by reversing a roll-up into, uh, not a roll-up, a cradle, into another pin. I, I think we need more of that. I, I, I think Tony Storm would perfectly fine going head-to-head with Charlotte and losing that way. Um, my issue, and it's what you pointed out, is that the presentation of Tony Storm is nothing. And this is not on her. I think she's great. I just feel like we haven't gotten to know her. And for one, she looks generic compared to what she compared her look at NXT. She doesn't have the fancy jackets, the glasses, the hat. I think she had a cane sometimes, maybe. She she doesn't seem as cool. She She was really cool in NXT. Now she's just a person who is second fiddle or friends with Sasha Banks. And, and, and so they're, they're trying to get the rub from Sasha to get, to get Tony storm up without telling us anything about Tony storm. Really? I mean, they had a weeks ago, they had like one video package or something like that, but, but it was short. It didn't even really say anything. Yeah. We, we don't, yeah. we don't know her. The, the, the feud here feels like it's Charlotte and Sasha and Tony is just kind of in between in, in, kind of a, a roadblock. So that's, I think that's the largest issue is that Tony Storm's really talented and they just haven't, they haven't um, presented her well enough. I mean, um, look, it's, it's taken this long, for, you know, maybe about six months ago for them to figure out how to present Liv. And she's been on the main roster for like five years, it feels like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's super frustrating, but you know, they did the same thing to a degree with Bianca Belair. They did have those vignettes for her, but for a while, she was just like, oh, here's an athletic woman. And then they let her start speaking. And they actually let her create a character for herself. Rhea Ripley, kind of from the beginning, was always given really that opportunity to speak. But even Shotzi Blackheart now, she's had like two promos. And you're like, well, why is she? Why did she use a tank at some point? Why is she yeah. so alternative? Yeah. And, and why does why is her hair green? And why is she like this? And you don't really have any reason or depth to these people. And they do it for the men. The men all get time. Now, yeah, sure, some get more than others, but it's just it's it's a very frustrating situation when you're building a, a feud around like throwing pies in people's faces, as opposed to right. Tony Storm kind of coming out there and saying, Hey, look, um, I, I was brought up from NXT UK to NXT. I was completely overlooked while I was there, despite being a long reigning champion and one of the best women's wrestlers in the world. Now I'm getting this opportunity on SmackDown. And ever since I've arrived, I've been overlooked again. And Charlotte, I'm not going to let you overlook me anymore. And oh. I want a title shot and I want to go after that championship. And now she is a character. Not yeah. maybe, maybe it's a little bit of an underdog character, but it's something there. And I, I, this isn't shit I wrote down. I'm just talking to you, right? So 
how can they, the people who are in charge and paid to create characters and build storylines, how, how can they not do better than what they're doing with Tony Storm? It's just, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. So I'm glad she got the match. It was a big featured spot on a holiday episode. It was the opening match. They got a lot of time. Maybe it raised her profile going forward. I hope it did. I just felt underwhelmed by what we got. That's all. But it was good. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying it was bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I'm giving it a good as well. It's just the, the ceiling for this was not very high for for all those reasons. I, I I liked in the match where Charlotte was kind of pushing Tony and saying get mad, which was which was interesting. Yeah. Like she was trying to fire her up just in general. And I think that worked because Tony. To, I don't know if she was doing this on purpose or not, but Tony looked like she was crying like the whole time when things weren't going her way and when she lost the match like i want her to get mad i want her yeah. to get fired up i want her to get frustrated and mad that she lost not cry that she lost via a cradle so that's again the, the character work they got to do here you, you gotta we you gotta connect to them they uh, say this all the time they they think they're trying to be marvel they're not being marvel because well, they're not creating characters also throw in a false finish here let storm hit her finisher and flare roll yeah. out of the ring you know, have commentary sell that Tony Storm almost beat Charlotte Flair. Instead, you're doing pinning combinations and Charlotte wins with, with a cradle. Now, maybe they're doing that so that, you know, Tony can say, hey, you lucked out. But what does it mean if they have a rematch at this point? Nothing. Right? You, well, don't, that's you, don't, you don't actually believe Storm couldn't win the match. Tony did, she, Tony Storm's reaction to the match was not, oh, man, I can't believe she got one over on me. It was like sadness. And it was like, right. that's not the right moment for that. All right, let's keep going here. The other big thing from SmackDown was the 12 Days of Christmas 12-man gauntlet match. So I'm going to try to pause here best I can, Chris, but uh, a lot of stuff happened because this thing took like 45 minutes of the show. Uh, mm -hmm. So it started out with Angel and Mansoor. Angel caught Mansoor flying and won with the wing clipper in a couple minutes. Eric lasted longer. He was next, but it was all during commercial break. He also lost to the wing clipper. So Angel got two wins. Shanky came in and squashed Angel in a minute. Ivar took out Shanky with relative ease, winning with a huge splash. And then the fifth match was Sheamus versus Ivar. It was the first one that truly interested me. Ivar got a near fall on a seated senton in the corner. Sheamus eventually hit a bro kick for the win. Ivar just looked exhausted throughout this whole thing. And the guy was not wrestling that long. And he's extremely talented. He's a veteran wrestler. So I, I was surprised by that whole thing. Uh, Sheamus was a good person to take him out. It obviously didn't hurt him that much. The other thing I wanted to point out is for the first time since they've started doing it, Ivar finally got the raid chant over. Like the crowd was <laughs> chanting raid with him, which is good because you want these guys to be marketable. They clearly mm -hmm. are trying to make this gimmick work. If the crowd starts chanting with you, maybe they get more of a push. So that's a positive. Uh, Drew Gulak came in, ate a bro kick and lost in 10 seconds. That was obviously sad. The guy's super talented. He just never gets a chance to do anything. And then we got Cesaro versus Sheamus. That was the next featured match, the seventh match, Cesaro hit a missile dropkick but couldn't sustain the swing due to injured ribs. He went for the neutralizer when Ridge Holland distracted, and then Sheamus took advantage with a bro kick. Of course, we'd have liked to have seen this gone longer. In this case, unlike the other two matches that we've talked about previously, I thought the finish was sensical. Cesaro was injured, therefore couldn't hit his finisher, and then given a reason to lose via distraction. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I, I like I said, I'd love to go longer, but in the context of a gauntlet match, you know, they they protected him. Exceptions can be made. That's how I look at it. Now, Ricochet uh, came in for the eighth match and he legitimately I've never seen this before. He got caught in the ropes on a dive 
And then he hits a perfect springboard moonsault outside. He landed on Sheamus's shoulders. Now it was he, perfect. It was perfect out. in terms of like, it looked awesome, but I yeah. really do not think that's what was supposed to happen. And Sheamus, someone dealing with a history of, you know, neck and collarbone and all those types of injuries um, probably wasn't thrilled that that happened, but it was still a really cool spot. Sheamus beat on Ricochet. He kicked out over Tornado DDT. Rick went on a run, but Sheamus stopped the springboard moonsault with double knees for a near fall. Rick basically then hit a phenomenal forearm and then a standing shooting star for another near fall. Holland distracted. Sheamus pumped need Ricochet off the ring apron. I thought that was it. It's over. He's going to lose. Cesaro runs down, takes out Holland at ringside, and Ricochet dropkicks Sheamus from behind, then rolls him up for the win. So an upset win for Ricochet. Sheamus takes him out with a bro kick right after the bell. And Umberto runs in and you're like, oh, here we go. Ricochet gets pinned, right? Umberto hits a missile dropkick, but Ricochet stops a moonsault with two straight legs and then hits the recoil and beats Umberto with his finisher. Jinder Mahal comes in next and you're like, okay, here's where Ricochet loses. He tries to take advantage, but Rick counters the Coloss into a pinning combination for the one, two, three and gets himself into the final match against Sami Zayn, who was out last. Ricochet picked him off the top rope with a hurricanrana, got a bunch of near falls. He m- missed a move in the corner. Zayn countered with a blue thunderbomb for a 2.5. Then Zayn hit an exploder into the corner, but Ricochet countered with a haluva kick and a super kick and dropped Zayn off his shoulders for another near fall. Zayn got double knees up on an incredible shooting star press, put Ricochet into the corner with an exploder, hit the haluva kick, and won the gauntlet and the number one contendership squeaky clean. So this whole match, there's so much to discuss. But let me just say, the Zayn Ricochet match on its own, I don't know how much time it got. I think it got like 10 minutes on its own. If it got another five, it would have been in the four-star range. That match alone, Chris, I gave 3.75 stars and a B plus. It was exceptionally fun watching those two wrestle. Yeah. I like this whole thing. I, I like gauntlet matches. I don't know how they do TV rating wise, but on a Christmas Eve episode, it made a lot of sense to do it. And it was a mix up. They did a really good job of mixing in different stories that were going on. The Cesaro mm-hmm. Sheamus stuff, the Sami Zayn Intercontinental stuff. Uh, so I thought this was this was booked extremely well. Yeah. Um, and, and it it built it built throughout the match. There wasn't like a big one early on and then you kind of had to catch your breath. I thought it was paced extremely well. This was this was great. I'm, I'm giving it a what do we know? Good, bad, ugly. Yeah, so, uh, good. I guess it's a that's good. the second. I mean, I'm, I'm giving it a great. But um, yeah, this was really fun. Yeah. If you think about it, if it was distilled down to a normal gauntlet match, like six, seven people, it would have it may have been great. Right. If like only six or seven people got the same allotted amount of time. You're like, oh, my God, that was a really damn good gauntlet match. But there was a lot of filler because clearly they were going to waste time. So let's discuss this in three different parts. First, the match, which you kind of already talked about. The Intercontinental title has not felt important in months. And you know what? It didn't hear either until like the seventh match out of 11 that we had. But once it got there, it was a legitimate gauntlet. I had wish maybe they did a little bit of promo work backstage for the top guys like Ricochet early in the show. But as far as the work and the booking of the entire thing, it was almost as good as you could expect, given the people involved and the fact that it went for 40 minutes of a two hour show. So I thought that was good. Now for the booking. Um, start. Let's start with Sami Zayn winning. 
I'm not totally sure I agree with how they went about it. This whole gimmick that Zane's had for a long time is a conspiracy theorist gimmick. Yet he got the 12th entry right. and one clean. It's the opposite of there being a conspiracy. If there was a conspiracy against him, he should have been the first entry and lost in the final match. Like made That's his way all the way there. And then his toughest opponent, Cesaro or Sheamus, is last. And then he loses and then he's pissed off and whatever. So I found that to be a little interesting. But ultimately, he was really one of two guys who should have come out of this match as the number one contender. It was Sami Zayn and Ricochet. They had them in the last match and they had Zayn win and win clean. And I appreciated all of that. Yeah, I thought I thought he was going to be first when they announced the match the previous week. But I was like, are they going to have Sammy go through 12 guys or 11 or 12 guys to win? That's kind <laughs> right. of insane. So I, I get not doing that. Um, this is kind of another thing where like in kayfabe, I'd love an explanation of how that works. Do they draw numbers? Whatever. Because specifically to Sammy's gimmick of he's being held down, it's important. Right. So, you know, but I can look over that because like we said, the Intercontinental title has meant zero for months. I just want to get the belt back onto Sammy as quickly as possible and then and then go from there. So I was willing to I was willing to get past it because we got the result we needed. Lastly, I just wanted to um give one additional note with Ricochet. I hope this woke up WWE creative. This is what this guy can do. Okay? He's not the best on the mic. We know that, right? But he is incredibly talented in the ring. And the crowd was 100% behind him without any buildup or without any reason to be behind him. He's not going to be a world champion. Okay, we know that at this point. But this guy can be a superstar as a mid-carder. Think about all the people in WWE history who have been huge names but never really advanced past the mid-card. He could sell merch. He could get a ton of social media views. The only mistake with this whole booking was the roll-up of Sheamus, some type of package, pinning combination, or even a finisher with a clean win would have been better. But he did get two legitimate wins after that. I think WWE has this guy in a position on a show that massively lacks main event slash upper mid-card talent. They did a great job with Ricochet, the way they booked him in this match. And I just really, really hope they capitalize on it. Um, I, like it. I, I like it a lot. I can just tell you now, I'm probably not going to. I know, <laughs> we, I know they're not. We've seen this before. We had those awesome Ricochet John Morrison matches. <sighs> and we were like, just let him do this. Just let him do cool shit every week. He'll get over. You don't, you don't need to give him a big promo. Just let him be known as, hey, every week this guy comes into, every week we're going to get 10 minutes of this guy doing some really cool flippy shit. And I can't wait to see it. It's simple. That's all you got to do. And it's been that way for years, literally years. When he did that flip out of the ring in NXT to walk up to Velveteen Dream, I, I saw that and I said, this dude is a superhero. He's a Dragon Ball Z character. He's whatever. If this guy is not a star on the main roster, you have failed. How about and, when he did? How about and they he- have failed. And they have failed. And I, I love to see what he did here. He could do this every week. He's amazing. We love him. I just have zero faith that WWE's going to do anything with it. And it's a shame because, again, just the more the Morrison ricochet thing 
was so big the first time they did it, they did it like two more times because it was like, oh, people really like this. Yeah, no shit. People like good wrestling. Well, it was, we booked, it was booked as a three-match series, but yeah. But they made, it was like the main event of one of the shows or something like that. It was featured. I mean, it was during the pandemic era, but it, it right. was booked that way. But the point, I was, like you're saying when he flipped out of the ring with Velveteen Dream, yeah, that was cool. His first match ever, he, uh, he was on a ladder that was falling and did a springboard like shooting star press in one we of the most, I was there live. It was one of the mm-hmm. most incredible things I have ever seen from a wrestler. It was the very first like move he ever did in a WWE ring. And here we are years later and we're like excited that he had a good showing in a gauntlet match that he didn't even win, right? Push Ricochet. That's all I'm trying to say. Like give this guy an opportunity. Uh, we'll stay with the mid-card title. We'll move over to Raw. We'll talk about Raw for the rest of the segment. Damian Priest fought Dolph Ziggler in an intercontinental title match. Uh, Priest backstage, sorry, United States Championship match. Uh, Priest backstage finally explained his gimmick. We talked about that last week. Why hasn't this guy said why his character's changed? It wasn't that bad of an explanation. They basically chalked it up that he, things can set him off and he goes into a blind rage. Okay, I'm glad it's not like a split personality, right? Or it's something like that. They just said, hey, he's he has kind of two sides to him and you can get the other one out by doing things that are dickish. Uh, Priest chucked Ziggler into the time keep, timekeeper's area. He later kicked out of a Famouser. Priest had a broken arrow for a near fall. Ziggler trash talked and then smacked him. And that brought Damien out. So he beat the shit out of Dolph and he lost via disqualification when he didn't respond to the five second count in the corner from the referee. Then he drove Ziggler into the barricade and hit him with the reckoning outside. And the crowd didn't even cheer it because it seemed like a heel move from a guy that can't control himself. So we got an 11 minute match without a finish simply due to the stupid gimmick. He's now lost three matches, I think, by disqualification after previously being undefeated on the main roster as a singles performer. He's less over than he was before. He gets less response from fans. And he can't even pick up a clean win over a guy who's in a tag team that he should be beating as, hey, I'm a champion and I beat a guy and look how strong I am. He can't even get a clean win for this. So this was just straight up bad, stupid booking. They're killing Damian Priest as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm glad we finally got a promo of him kind of explaining it. I thought it was delivered terribly. He doesn't even sound like a real person when he's explaining it, but they tried something. And yeah. that's the, that was the biggest complaint I had about it was that they're not even telling us what the hell this is, but you're right. That's not a face gimmick. It's no. a heel gimmick. Yep. So, and, and so if he's going to snap and lose because he can't control himself, he's got to injure people. He's got to like, stairs chairs someone's out for weeks because he flipped if he flips and loses because he's kicking a guy too much nobody cares like 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 if you're gonna do it do it and they're not even doing it and this this is how we talked about the beginning of the show i wrote it down here's how this played out dolph entrance commercial live video package priest promo backstage priest entrance commercial then we get then we come back to the match that was like 10 minutes of just like, hey, we're about to start this match, but you're not going to get it for another 10 minutes. Why are we doing a live video package in the in the middle of the Priest-Dolph segment? That's something AEW does sometimes that I criticize. You, you gotta, you can't mix it up like that. This was, I, I, this was a mess. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's amazing how 
how much they've screwed up Damian Priest in the second half of this year for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> for no reason. Was he the most over guy? No, but this is a guy that they had with Bad Bunny. He was getting cheers. He let off Raw that one week. We always point that out. Um, I think he had a match with Drew McIntyre where did McIntyre yeah. put him and, over? And, yeah, and yeah, and Drew Drew shook his hand. I think I think Drew won, but Drew shook his hand. No, he didn't win because Priest hadn't lost. Okay, so maybe Priest won. And, and he must have won. It might have been a distraction yeah. or some. I don't remember. But but Drew, yeah, Drew put him over and shook his hand and stuff like that afterwards. It must have been a distraction, maybe with like Sheamus or something like that. But yeah, or, or Lashley or whatever. But yeah, and then he shook his hand, and Priest was like wow, this guy's really good. And then I think he had to take a little bit of time off because he had back surgery or, or a back issue or whatever. And then whatever, they just randomly bring him back with a new gimmick and new music. And I didn't mind the idea of like, we're going to play into the name and we're going to show that Damian Priest, he's good, he's bad, but together he's this great performer. Let's give him a, like boost his character a little bit. But because he didn't really have a character at all. So Mm-mm. in WWE, everyone has to have something. So, okay. But now, but now they've leaned into it so far where it's ridiculous, where, at, like I said last week on the show, every match has to have a point in which he snaps. And that totally fucks your booking. Like it, it makes you every match not care about what's happening because you're just waiting for him to snap. Yep. And then when he does, he doesn't even get to win clean over guys. He should be, be clean. It's just an absolute mess. I almost want to say it's ugly. It, it wasn't. The match was good. The wrestling was good. So like, I can't go ugly, but yeah, I, it was close. Bad. It was bad. Okay. Uh, speaking of AJ Styles, we mentioned him a little bit ago. So he got cheers coming to the ring, noting Omos didn't show up for his match. But whenever they did fight, he would fall. Uh, Grayson Waller from NXT had a sign in the crowd. And for those who don't watch NXT, Styles was on the show last week, last Tuesday, because Grayson Waller called him out. It's just kind of a crossover thing they were doing. I don't think Waller was supposed to be at Raw. I believe this was a fill-in because Omos was not there, but we'll get to that in a moment. Anyway, he had a sign in the crowd. Styles invited him into the ring. They talked shit. And then it goes off the rails. So Apollo Crews comes out and Commander Aziz basically challenges him and says, hey, you didn't get a chance to fight one giant, so why don't you fight another? And then they go to commercial break and then they do a long interview backstage with different people. And then we come back from the interview and in the ring are Styles and Cruz with no explanation whatsoever. (laughs) And I'll get to the match in a moment. But Chris, my first thought was, you know what? If Omos either got COVID or tested positive or was close contact and they couldn't do the matches advertised, that's okay. The idea, especially if Styles was going to lose to Omos, of Styles first facing and beating Commander Aziz, who is far less important to the company, right? And isn't being pushed as hard. That's actually a pretty good booking idea where you show that Styles can beat one monster, even if he lucks out doing it. But then when he goes up against Omos, he's not able to beat him. I thought like before we got the cruise match, I was like, oh, you know what? That's kind of an interesting way to make sure that you still get Styles versus a big man on the show. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and this kind of plays into Aziz and uh, Apollo, but... This was a face turn for AJ, this whole thing. Well, we'll get to that. I just wanted to talk yeah. about the Aziz part first. Yeah, but I mean, but that because that was my thought going. I was like, AJ, Aziz, okay, I get it, but they're both heels. This is Raw very much has heels versus heel stuff going on. We've got Kevin Owens MVP stuff. We've got Priest Dolph stuff. And, and then now this, that was just, I think at the time I was like, I, I think the crowd is 
not try to react to it in the moment um, heading into that Aziz thing. And then, and then we come back with Apollo and I was like, okay. Right. And the explanation, weird. like, I, I, I know they said something, Jimmy Smith or Corey Graves said something, but it was like nonsensical. It just, it was like, yeah, Cruz decided he's the one who wanted to fight Styles. It's like, well, no, you told us before a commercial break and then before an interview segment that it was going to be a different person. And then we come back and it's not. Now, all of that said, Styles versus Cruz is a far better match booking than Styles and Aziz. Like, you know, that's going to be significantly more entertaining of a match. So I'm glad that we ultimately got that. But all they needed to do is during the promo, just have Cruz challenge him instead of Aziz. Mm -hmm. It didn't make any sense. Anyway, as far as the match goes, Cruz rolls Styles into a nice sit down powerbomb for a near fall. Then Styles flips him over with a moonsault for an inverted DDT. Aziz saved Cruz from a phenomenal forearm. Cruz hit a Death Valley driver on the ring apron for a two point like eight count. Styles sold it really well. There was a great sequence for the finish with AJ rolling from a pinning combination into a Styles clash for the win in 11 minutes. Like I said, Style Cruz was the much better match. So I'm glad we ultimately got that as a match. After it was over, Aziz tried to attack. AJ took him out with a phenomenal forearm. And then Aziz didn't sell it. He got back up. So AJ like walked up to him, punched him in the face and was like, stay down. And then Aziz stayed down for the remainder of the segment. So I'm going to split this in half. I have to, because credit has to be given where it's due. The booking was horrendous. It was bad, as bad as it can be without being ugly. But the match was very good and entertaining. It was a B-grade match, like a 3.25, 3.5 star match. Styles got face cheers all night, as you mentioned. It seemed like last week they were going to make Omos the face. Now it seems like Styles is the face. And guess what? That's the right decision. They need baby faces on Raw. And we talked about it after the draft. The roster is stacked, but they don't have a lot of singles baby faces. Now you potentially have Biggie, AJ Styles, and Finn Balor, all as your three main baby faces on Raw. That is exceptionally good. So if that's all the development, that's a solid turn as well. So again, bad booking, good match. Yeah, this felt like a complete face turn for AJ, posing to the crowd and everything when he's done. Uh, on top of the Grayson Waller stuff, like all of it, like all of it was him turning face. And it's not it's not the most memorable face turn or whatever, but it needed to happen. Omas being the face doesn't really make sense unless AJ's insulting him and he's not. Right. And we need more top level baby faces on Raw. We got three heels in the in the four fatal four way for the for the title. So um yeah, this was good. This was a good turn uh, turn of events. The Aziz thing was weird. I wasn't sure if Aziz was told like by a ref, "Hey, we gotta we gotta stretch for ten more seconds, get back up and hit him or something." Like that. Yeah. But uh, um, but I, I liked it. Like it was just it was different. It, even though it was like a little thing, he was just like stuff's happening. It feels like was that or not supposed to happen? I don't know. So this is definitely a good. Aziz is a totally failed project, by the way, and watching Aziz and even to some degree Omas, who is better and he has potential, but it really makes me appreciate Braun Strowman. Like all three of those guys debuted on the main roster green as hell without any real experience wrestling. Uh, Babatunde Aziz, it just doesn't seem to be working at all. Like I, I, he's a failed project. Omas, mildly successful, I would say so far. Braun Strowman, granted, he had a lot longer to go. But he figured out the mic work enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, he definitely figured out in ring where he was a total powerhouse in there. Like those guys 
should be looking up to Braun and like studying his tape and figuring out what he did to make it work because neither of them for me, it's really, it's really not working with either of them. With with Omos, to me, the issue is not his wrestling. That's just a lot of that's going to just take reps, but he has gotten better. He has timing down. Well, He's okay on the mic, but they clearly don't trust him. No, he's terrible on the mic. He has has personality, which is good. But he has no mic skills. That's what I mean. That's a a better way of saying it. But we talked about this last week. They did absolutely nothing to develop his character. We don't know anything more about him. We don't know about his history in coming from Nigeria. By the way, if you're a, if you wanted to make him a face, like tell that, you know, we wrote that story in the athletic. Oh, about playing for UCF summer. basketball. Yeah. And yeah playing basketball and yeah. stuff like that. So like, but they didn't. And he has a, he has a great story. Uh, yeah. Veer has a great story. Why yeah. aren't you telling those stories? It's just, the, again, this, the Tony storm thing, the Damian Breeze thing, they're just, they're not telling us who these people are. They're telling us their characteristics and thinking right. that's what makes a character. That's not what makes a character. You right. have to make them a person. And so, yeah, I don't know what goes next with Omos, but I, you know, I said last week they really dropped the ball with AJ and Omos because I loved them at the beginning, and then nothing changed with them. We didn't get to know them anymore. They didn't develop any kind of relationship over six, seven, eight months, and that's where WWE really dropped the ball. And I don't know what Omos's future is. You know, Baba, you uh, I don't remember how to pronounce his Baba name. Baba Tunde. Baba Tunde. I liked him in Raw Underground. That was a cool little. You know, we talk about <laughs> different little eras that were going on. I was a fan of Raw Underground because it, it it turned this nobody into something. And we had him face off against Braun Strowman. I was like, ooh, like a big guy, big meaty men type stuff going on here. And then just they give him a gimmick that's a weird thing, and we never learn anything more about it. This I, is the problem with so many characters. I don't believe they dropped the ball with AJ Styles and Amos. I just think the split was bad. I think them as a team, it was the, long the enough. Split- it was good enough. They were champions. It worked. They needed to move on from them. They were never going to be a long-term tag team. The, no, but when you have a big, small guy like that, the split is always going to happen. I just think the, the split was bad, but I don't think they the dropped the ball with them as a team. The split, the split was completely had zero impact because we didn't know anything about their relationships, though. We like yeah. I would have loved some of those those Viking Raiders, Street Profits stuff where they're doing goofy stuff like just like develop a relationship between them and tell us who they are together. And we never got that. And so when they split, it was like, it's time to go. Cause we're not doing anything with them, I guess. Uh, I do. In this case, I disagree. I thought we got enough from them backstage, their interactions, how they talk to other teams where you got kind of got a good idea about their relationship, but yeah, just the split, the split was so weak that it just didn't matter. Yeah. It, it, it killed any memory of them as a team because it's just like, yep. Oh yeah, we disagree over one thing, and that ends our relationship completely. And Omas can't even articulate it; he needs the Miz to do it for him. So it was just a whole joke. All right, a couple more things really quick, then we got to get to this day one preview. Uh, Dana Brooke and Reggie fought Tamina and r Truth in a mixed tag team match. Tamina super kicked Reggie. Truth tagged himself in and ate like a crazy twisting flip seated pinfall attempt from Reggie. Yeah. It was it, it was awesome, but it looked scary. I thought Truth broke yeah. his neck. So I, did I. I couldn't believe it. Uh, Truth then avoided Tamina in a post-match attack. Brooke got a shot. They left. This went two minutes and 30 seconds. Nothing positive to say. It was bad. I keep forgetting Dane is a 24-7 champ. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing or whatever. It's an irrelevant thing. Again, we say it every week. There are a million fun things you could do with this belt, and we're doing a tag team match? Okay, what? Yeah, just terrible. Uh, Nikki Ash said Rhea Ripley may have won her match last week without Nikki. But they never said they needed each other. They just wanted to be together, which is why they're a tag team. 
Then she made an official women's tag team title challenge. Obviously, uh, Zelina Vega and Rhea Ripley, both conspicuous by their absence. We know we're not saying they had COVID, but certainly a, a possibility. Uh, regarding Nikki, it was an overly scripted promo that did not hit at all. The exact opposite, I thought, could be said for Carmella later. She accepted the challenge and said that they wanted to put the baby faces back in their place. She put over Ripley as being awesome, clowned Nikki for being a weak link. I just got to give credit to Mella. Her interview was actually really damn good. Like, I was shocked. Even though she's good on the mic, I was shocked how good this promo was from her backstage. She saved this combined thing from a bad and actually made it a good. They gave a legitimate reason why there's a rematch. And they continue telling this story where Nikki is the weak link of the team. So to my surprise after Nikki's promo, which I hated, I'm going to end up good here because Mella's was so good. Yeah, I was I was just kind of it was good promo, but I was just kind of whatever on it because it's just they're just repeating generally the same story over and over. She doesn't need Nikki. She doesn't waiting for something to happen. Obviously, for reasons, nothing happened. But um, I, I guess it's a good but it's one of those like low ceiling goods. Sure. Uh, and then we also had Xia Li. She cut a tape promo about not fearing bullies and fighting them, calling herself the protector. And then on Raw, Veer Mahan got his speaking video package. Once again, he's still coming soon. Uh, we'll see if he ever shows up. So uh, oh, wait, wait, real quick. I want to give a shout out to WWE's social team, the Twitter team. We talked about it last week. You mentioned that they are self-aware a lot of times. They are, yes. And they tweeted the Veer graphic again last night and captioned it, send Veer which I thought mm. was really funny. That's a takeoff <laughs> a, on, well, a take off on of, Send Hook for me. It's a playoff of, yeah. of Send Hook. They realize how ridiculous this is. They're having some fun with it. So props for that. No, no, that's that's pretty solid. I, I agree. <laughs> I like that. I did miss that. I mean, I but now that you say it, it sounds great. Uh, okay, so that is it for the good, the bad, and the ugly, Chris. Let's get to the reason why we are here. The main event of today's show. <laughs> The WWE Day One Ultimate Preview. So, Chris, as of right now, I should have prepared four or five, six. I have seven matches on this card. Maybe you can uh, go look and make sure I didn't yeah. miss anything. Seven according to Wikipedia. Okay, I have a seven match card here. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to break down things that happened on SmackDown and Raw uh, within our discussion about each match as we preview the card. Uh, for those who are new listeners, uh, for the Getting Over Us in podcast, maybe hearing us for the first time, when we do the ultimate previews, we break it down from the low card all the way to the main event. And when we do our instant analysis, which will come Saturday, as soon as WWE Day One goes off the air, we do it the exact opposite way. We start with the main event, the biggest storylines from the pay-per-view, and work our way down the card. So since we're starting with the undercard, believe it or not, somehow Drew McIntyre is in the least important match of this entire pay-per-view, which to me is just wild. We have Drew McIntyre versus Madcap Moss on this show. And we had a match on SmackDown that uh, encapsulated the storylines of not only this match, but the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, the Usos defending against New Day. So we're going to talk about what happened on SmackDown, and then we'll go through these two pay-per-view matches back-to-back. -back. On SmackDown, we had a Miracle on 34th Street fight between McIntyre and New Day against Moss and the Usos. The Faces did a short comedy deal backstage. Uh, this was the main event, by the way, of SmackDown. Happy Corbin used a candy cane kendo stick on McIntyre. New Day got thrown into trees. King Woods opened up a steel chair as a Christmas present, Christmas present, 
and hit a Van Daminator, very, very similar the way he opened that box to the way John Cena did in another Miracle on 34th Street fight like probably 10 years ago. Uh, Jey Uso chugged some eggnog for no reason. Kofi Kingston climbed to the top rope with two trays of cookies and killed the Usos outside. Corbin stopped the Claymore, so Kofi poured eggnog on his head. Then McIntyre did to Corbin and Moss the exact same thing before hitting the Claymore for the win. The faces tossed merchandise to the fans. And the very final second of SmackDown was Madcap Moss like just walking by himself where he gets hit in the head, the back of the head with a present and just face plants onto the mat outside. So was this stupid? Yes, it was stupid. Was it fun as hell? Yes, it was fun as hell. The crowd absolutely loved it. It's Christmas. Everyone, including the heels during the match, looked like they were having a good time being silly. It was a win. You know, I don't like necessarily this. I don't necessarily like the Halloween costume matches like the one they did in AEW. But if you're going to be silly, be 100% silly. Don't try to be silly within the confines of like a technical wrestling match. This was really well done. It was a good main event. Everyone popped. And that final scene with Moss legitimately made me laugh out loud. Yeah. <laughs> the only time. The only time he's ever Only time, yeah. <laughs> was that. Um, yeah, there was a period where I hated these holiday gimmick matches. And then I just kind of came to realize, look, nobody's watching. It, it, it's, it's a little different if it's like Halloween and it's not Halloween night. Because then you're like, it's a little but like a Christmas Eve for sure. Like, just it's fine. And just go all out silly. The AEW costume thing was all out silly. I like that. This was all out silly. So it worked. Um, so, yeah, it was it wasn't supposed to be anything just supposed to be fun. It was fun. It was indeed fun. So Drew McIntyre versus Madcap Moss. Look, man, is there a scenario where like Corbin helps Moss win and it continues no. this feud for another month? Uh, where then you have McIntyre and Corbin feud because Corbin is always the in-between feud for, you know, main event level stars before they get back into the title picture. That can happen. Sure. I see no way that Drew McIntyre loses this. It's a pay-per-view. You can still continue the feud on SmackDown the following Friday by having Corbin keep annoying him or something like that. I have to believe McIntyre wins the match. Yeah, McIntyre is winning. I was surprised Madcap got the pay-per-view match. I figured fight madcap on a smackdown then you get yeah you get corbin, corbin on, on a, right yeah so does this mean we're gonna get corbin drew at the rumble i don't know my picture when the rumble is Drew, so i don't know maybe he does both i guess that's certainly possible um but yeah drew's winning this whatever maybe he'll have the sword again i don't know so the other match Th- this need, this need this this needs to be the start of drew looking like a badass again if if we're heading to to mania and what we think may or may not happen with him this is when he has to start to turn the corner of okay no more stupid pull the sword out of the desk stuff he's got to look like an ass kicker again they got to get away from this comedy corny gimmick that he's been doing for way too long like yeah. ever since the sword was brought as an on-screen prop and they leaned into the scottish stuff i don't mind talking about someone's heritage but the kilt and the you know he stuck it into the stone when he did that for a while and then the Scottish tales that were like all that, that was what I was fine with. I'm fine with some of it. The, the, the story time, the, the comedy gimmick, the comedy stuff. Yeah. Get, get rid of that. It's, it's just a joke. So just they need to move on. But McIntyre, we still like him a lot. He has to win this match. Yes. Anything else would be honestly a legitimate surprise. 
Uh, but SmackDown Tag Team Championships, the Usos and New Day, that was the other part of this match. This whole thing, you know, for an Usos New Day feud, it's probably the worst version of an Usos New Day feud we've ever had. Yep. Um, the booking has been terrible. They literally fought two weeks ago on SmackDown for no reason when the match was already set for the pay-per-view. New Day won that. You come in here, you're like, well, what motivation is there for New Day to win the tag team titles? There's really not. I don't know where they would go with them. Uh, there's also not really any other major team that stands out to me as like, oh, the Usos are obviously going to hold the titles until Mania because they're going to fight this team. That I don't have that on my card either. So because I don't see a reason to change the title, I'm going to predict the, new, the, the Usos retain the titles. But really, it's, it could go either way on a whim. It doesn't seem like WWE really has any rhyme or reason for the match or the booking or anything that they're doing with the SmackDown tag team division. And let's not forget, a few weeks ago, they randomly decided to have a a triple threat tag team match in which the New Day were declared the greatest tag team in WWE. Right. You would you would think the you would think the championship determines that, but apparently not. I don't know. Or winning the Survivor Series match between the two champions yes. would have determined that. Yes. So I'm going with the Usos here. You're right. I don't really know what's next for all of them, but. This, this has been so bad, and they already gave the New Day that triple threat win that I think the Usos win this. Now, credit where it's due, because we criticize WWE's tag team booking all the time. On Raw, they're actually booking the tag teams. And you know what? They're mm -hmm. doing a pretty decent job at it, as far as I'm concerned. So we had a Raw tag team championship match announced for day one. RK-Bro against the winners of the RK-Bronerment that we got the finals of Monday night. So we actually have... A lot to talk about regarding this match. So it's Raw started, it opened with RK Bro. The crowd went wild for them. They are clearly like the most over thing in WWE right now, I think. Maybe Lesnar is there. Certainly some of the women are up there, but like Bianca's up there, but they are over like Rover. They and Chad Gable promoted back and forth to set up singles matches. I'm not going through the details. Gable got a decent amount of time on the mic. That was good. So we got Riddle versus Gable as the first match. Gable got a near fall on a Tiger suplex. There were submission counters. Then Riddle hit a pump knee and a floating bro for the one, two, three in four minutes. Then we got Orton versus Otis, which was previously announced. Otis dominated until Orton dodged him into the steel steps, hit a draping DDT. Otis avoided an RKO, but Orton rolled away from a Vader bomb and hit the RKO to win in three minutes and 45 seconds. Riddle and Orton then hugged each other with Orton teasing an RKO, which really popped the crowd. Um, you know, we thought he might turn, even though he obviously knew he wasn't going to. But this whole thing that I just described in about 30 seconds, that was the first 30 minutes of the show. And that tells you all you need to know about how WWE views wrestling. This is what we talked about earlier, yes. that on a Raw where they needed to stretch for time, they gave like 14 minutes to the promo segment, mm -hmm. which was stretched and rambling and just kept going on and was somewhat nonsensical in parts. And couldn't give either of the match matches more than four minutes. Riddle and Gable on its own could have easily gone 15 minutes. The crowd would have been all over it, eating it up. Yes. It would have been exciting <laughs> and fun. And you would have seen two of, the two of the best and most legitimate wrestlers in the company go at it. Orton and Otis could have easily been eight minutes or 10 minutes with a commercial break. Instead, all of that was shoved inside of eight minutes, despite this taking 30 minutes of television time. This is the shit that angers me 
because other than the short time for the matches, the package of it that we were given, it was extremely entertaining. They just didn't allow us to sit and enjoy our meal. They put it on our plates. We got a couple bites and then they pulled our plate from us and brought us dessert when we're right in the middle of eating our entree. Yep. Um, Again, I'm, I, I like seeing uh, Alpha Academy get more time to do anything. That's good. They got 30 minutes of the opening show. That's good. But but the way to get Chad, the way to get us interested in Chad Gable is not to have him cut a five minute promo, which he was fine. He's, he's he was fine. fine on the mic. He's good. Yeah, he's, he's good. good. But if you had let him and Riddle go 15 minutes, play, roof would have blown off that place. Everybody would have been going nuts over it. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, Chad Gable, this guy. This is a guy I got to pay attention to, not not him talking. And that's just, again, just a missed opportunity and not quite maximizing the potential of things. And, and yeah, they must think a 15 minute wrestling match is not going to keep people from changing the channel. I don't know why talking necessarily would when it's, you know, when you could have something like Gable and Riddle. But I don't know. That was that was it was it was again, it was like exciting to see it but then frustrating to not get more of it it was extremely frustrating um so the second part of this was later in the show we got the rk bronerman oh actually finals. actually one, one more thing one more thing on that that you mentioned that pup handle knee from riddle to gable holy crap that thing popped me i don't i don't know if it was if he really got him or not but holy well, crap that was one of the best. really loud yeah <laughs> yeah that was one of the that was one of the best looking knees uh, I've ever seen. I just wanted to shout out that for an incredible, uh, between the two of them, incredible move that got me to go, whoa, when I saw that. And Gable is one of the best sellers in WWE. So he sold mm-hmm. it like death, which was great. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we got the finals of the RK tournament. We've been waiting. The teams were injured or sick or not available, whatever the case. We finally got it. Street Profits versus the Mysterios. Montez Ford uh, wore braids, I think, for the first time. Dominic had yeah. a mullet, I think, for the first time. So there was a lot of hair action going on in this match. Uh, there was fun gamesmanship early. The Mysterios did a double sliding tope. Angelo Dawkins thwarted a 619 with a spinning elbow, then hit a double underhook twisting slam. Ford nailed an insane frog splash three quarters of the way across the ring. But Dominic broke the fall. Dom took Dawkins out with a springboard half tornillo, I guess a corkscrew maybe. Uh, as Ray hit the 619 on Ford, Hurricanrana Dawkins, and then Dom frog splashed Ford, but he kicked out at 2.5. Dawkins stopped the double 619, threw Ray outside, then set Dom up with a flying assisted blockbuster for the win in 13 minutes. The Street Profits got the win. This was a banger of a match, man. Like they could have finished with the impressive frog splash where he flew across the ring, but instead they gave us two false finishes. And that really amped it up and it amped the crowd up. It was a bit sloppy at the end. Uh, I wish it could have been a little bit tighter. Another situation where I'd have loved to have seen this go seven more minutes, let's say. Like, allow this thing to go 20 minutes, get a full-fledged, meaty, competitive tag team match. It ended a little bit too soon. I'm in between a 3.5 and a 3.75 stars, BB+. plus, But... Damn, like totally a worthwhile television match. If more matches on Raw were like this, if Riddle Gable was like this, I'm telling you, we're going from talking about Raw being a lackluster, pretty bad go-home show to a pretty entertaining show that they could have put on despite the circumstances of having half a roster. 
Yeah, and, and this was the championship of the tournament, so you give it some more time. But yeah, that's the difference between 13 to 14 minutes and four minutes. Totally. Yeah. Is that the crowd got into it. You gave them time. If you're going for it, there's not enough time to get into a feel for things, to, to tell a story. It's just to say, oh, Riddle won, let's cheer. Oh, you know, Orton won, let's cheer. And that's not, there's not a connection to that. You give them 14 and you get a really fun match like this. and you care more. And this was this was a lot of this was a lot of fun. Yeah, good match. Now as far as the tag team title match at the pay-per-view, given there is absolutely zero storyline build between RK Bro and Profits, given both our faces and I just cannot see a scenario in which they are done with RK Bro yet. I have to believe RK Bro is going to retain the titles. I just I do not know why you would change the titles on this show to the Street Profits when they are just coming back. They really don't have much momentum and they can take a loss, I think, pretty easily. Yeah, they, they can take a loss and be fine. They are pretty established. I guess my pick is RK Bro as well. I guess moving forward, just real quick. I mean, do you think do you think we get a breakup in a mat an Orton Riddle match at WrestleMania, or do you think we get RK Bro at WrestleMania again? It's tough, man, because it seems like they still have time in this feud. We know WWE likes to break things up, but if you break up Orton and Riddle, I mean, what is le- what is there for them to specifically do? There's so many single stars. We've talked about it on Raw mm-hmm. that can be in main events and can be in the mid-card picture. So yeah, I guess you could break them up um, at or right before the Royal Rumble and do a three-month feud and then have them have their blow-off match at WrestleMania. But given they do have a pretty decent amount of tag teams on Raw right now, I think you can build this and just build it all the way to WrestleMania for a tag team title match. Keep them together. Have them get over. Maybe they drop the titles at Mania or maybe they win at Mania. And then the following show is when you have them drop the titles and break up eventually. But you know what I'd also like to see? Because we never see it with tag teams. When they break up, which is inevitable, I'd love to see it be a surprise. Either like Riddle turning heel or if you don't want to do that, an amicable breakup where like they lose the titles and Orton's like, hey, dude, it was great tagging with you. We can still be friends, have each other's back, but I got to go pursue the world title or something like that. You know, like I could. Yeah, I, I'd love I could for see something that. I could different. see that. It, I, yeah, I, I think I don't know when it's getting, but we don't need to go much farther into this. But I think it needs to end with Orton RKOing Riddle. And that can be that can even be in an amicable way. <laughs> Like, like they could they could make it happen like all right i got i got we gotta go man see you later and then boom hits him and he smiles and then he just leaves like that that would work because i think their chemistry continues to be really good like you said they are one of the most over things so i think they win this match i think it's gonna be, i think it could be a really fun match if they're given a, a, enough time I'm, I'm really looking forward to just the wrestling in this match um between the profits and RK Bro. Also, RK Bro, their theme, it's only a few weeks old, I think. Their new theme is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, sometimes, so cool. it's, it's sometimes hard to hear on the show. Go find it on YouTube. It's really good. It's a one of the better mashed up themes ever, I think. It, yes. it was, it's yes. been done extremely well. By the way, my dog clearly hated your idea of, of the I've had a couple of dogs marks over even this time. Yeah, but I mean, he was loud. He, he was right here. He heard you. Um, he was vociferously uh, against you for that. So yeah, he's for now he's crying. See, he knows. Uh, okay, so anyway, RK Bro retaining. We're both on the same side there. Correct? There we go. All right. Yep. So four matches left. Uh, Edge and Miz. So on Raw, Edge yelled at a dude for sorry, Miz yelled at a dude 
for bringing ugly flowers to what was going to be his like recommitment vow renewal ceremony. Uh, then Eric Bischoff shows up backstage as the officiant. Like, so can AEW and WWE not think of anyone else to officiate or like lead an interview segment? It always has to be Eric Bischoff. Like, I know the, he did the Billy and Chuck wedding back in the day and was absolutely incredible right. when he did that in WWE. Yeah. But does it always have to be Bischoff? I, I don't hate him, but there's so many other legends and so many other people you could randomly pull out to do this. I just thought I it was know. so strange that like they always everyone always goes back to Eric Bischoff. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. I li- it made sense. I, I liked it. It was fun seeing him again. He it's fun seeing him because he keeps popping up between AEW and WWE from time to time. So he's kind of moving show to show. So um, no, I popped when I saw Bischoff. So I was cool. With it. It's just weird to me. It's weird. He also got a full entrance in the main event. This was the final segment, and it was set up for me way more like a wedding. And not really a vow renewal. I mean, I've been to a vow renewal and it's not a wedding. It's a different type of like less formal ceremony where you're kind of just reestablishing well, love. But it's didn't, wrestling. Didn't no, it's fine. Did, it's fine. Yeah. Didn't they renew the vows between Triple H and Stephanie once? And I think they had a Susan a wedding dress. So I, I, think I don't it was, I think I think in I think they've done this before. Maybe. But it just it, it, I, I saw the whole thing. I'm like, oh, so it's a wedding. You know what I mean? It's basically anyway, uh, as far as Maurice goes uh, in the wedding dress. I mean, yeah, great stuff there. Uh, They gave their vows and got booed. Miz did his in French, but screwed up, which was funny. Bischoff asked for objections. Then he kind of broke kayfabe and said, hey, look, everyone knows how this is going to end anyway. And that's the second time, by the way, that happened. We'll talk about KO did it earlier. Um, But he's like, hey, everyone knows what's about to happen next. Edge makes his full entrance, gets the pyro, the whole deal. Edge said he wanted to embarrass Miz before he beats him at day one. He laughed in Miz's face, saying he hoped Miz... Didn't expect it to be a white wedding. Dipped out of the ring. The brood music came on. And then black paint fell from the ceiling. I thought it was a fine ending to a lackluster show. The crowd popped for it because it was a spectacle. You know, I saw people complaining online that the blood isn't red. It's WWE's been a PG product, folks, for like, I don't know, 15 years at this point. They don't do blood anymore. Edge just did this like five months ago to Seth Rollins. It was black. I I don't know what people expect and why they get so angry over the most minute details when there are so many, again, legitimate things to be angry about WWE for. So I don't care about the color of the paint. Was this the best segment ever? No, I thought it was perfectly fine. And it was a good way to kind of do like a go-home segment ahead of their pay-per-view match. Yeah, it was interesting. I, it, I thought it was pretty funny. The, the Maurice and Miz stuff, you know, they kept doing things. It was pretty funny. I like that Maurice like put in her vows that you're a better superstar than Edge, like while she's crying. <laughs> it was just like the 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 the, the contrast of all that was pretty funny. Um, and and yeah, Miz doing French, although he was using two to say you instead of the more proper vu as someone who speaks a little French. Well, he also I, did I, Spanish I words. That. He dropped Spanish He did some words. Spanish. That yeah. was funny. Yeah, it was, just, it was funny. And then Edge comes up and he's looking around, like calling for someone to come. And I, I thought that was going to be Beth Phoenix. I thought he was calling out Beth Phoenix or something like that. And then he's like, no, I'm just playing with you. So there was a lot of like kind of acknowledging like kind of the dynamics of how this works sometimes. But, you know, he gets the stuff dumped on him. It's a great image. You get it. You know, I get why it's not red. I wish it was red. I get why it's not. It's fine. My only thing is like the last time Edge did 
the bloodbath, it was because he he said I had to go to a darker place to get it. Like right. that's how he made it happen. Now he's just doing the brood thing as a joke. Well, I here's the thing. Get, here's the thing. I get the point of it. Just as someone who like the brood entrance was one of my favorite moments of 2021. I, I'm kind of like, eh, I don't really like it being used as a joke. Well, I took this one more. Not so. It, I wish they didn't play the brood music. Right. Exactly. Because if they didn't, then it's just like he's pranking them and he's just being a exactly. Dick. Just do Be, that. Yeah, because they did the brood music, they made people think it was quote unquote blood. When they did it with Rollins, it was also black, but I think I remember it being very, very, very dark red. It was like they had red paint that they added black to just to get it like, you know, somewhat red, like like a little tinge mm-hmm. of it. This was pure black. So I just wish, again, if they didn't do the brood music, then you still get the same effect and people are still excited for it but i think they saw how much people popped from the brood that they mm-hmm. just are now going to overuse it and edge is going to you know here and there pull it out when it's it was really special for rollins and now it doesn't feel special anymore yep pretty much now as far as the match goes chris man i don't even know what they're going to do here because i have two schools of thought on the entire thing number one how if i was booking the damn territory okay let's let's go that go with that so what i probably do is i have edge win I have Miz create a stink about it next week. He got screwed. Maurice got involved, whatever the case. Uh, And then you do a tag team match at the Royal Rumble. You know, Miz and Maurice against Edge and Beth Phoenix. And you get it out of the way. And then I set up Edge coming out of the Royal Rumble. I set him up for Kevin Owens or Finn Balor or AJ Styles. a, A feud that we've never seen before that would make for an incredible match at WrestleMania. That's how I book it. Yep. My concern is that WWE may have the ultimate main match at WrestleMania. Their their goal, their gimmick is Edge and Beth Phoenix versus Miz and Maurice, which would mean this needs to now stretch out four more months mm-hmm. and or three more months. And I just it I can't imagine this going on that long with Randy Orton and with Rollins. They were able to make it work, but those were things people really wanted to see. With Miz, this just feels like it needs to end inside of 30 days or so. So I just don't know what direction they're going. I think no matter what, considering Edge lost to Rollins once, he lost the WrestleMania match. Uh, I believe he lost to Roman Reigns one-on-one. The guy's taken enough losses, even in a scenario where you want to set up a mixed tag team match. I don't really see how you have Edge lose to Miz. So because of that, I'm going to pick Edge. But I could definitely see them having Miz win and then having Edge and Beth Phoenix win the mixed tag team match, whether at the Royal Rumble or whether at WrestleMania. Yeah, no, I mean, the way I'm predicting it is Maurice interferes and Miz wins. And so then we get Beth Phoenix. Like accidentally costs him the win, you mean? No, no, like Maurice interferes. And Miz wins. Oh, and she Miz distracts wins. Edge. She hits him with something. Miz wins. Edge is mad. All right, I'm bringing my wife in to even up. And then we do the rumble. And then and that, that that's it. And then I would play it off the rest of the way you said it. Get, get Edge onto somebody else. I said this at the beginning. I like Edge and Miz. I don't want to see it for four months. I don't want to see Edge in any feud for four months. I, he, he's only got so much time left. I want to get him in the ring with as many different people as possible. Um, so, yeah. Do two matches. Do a mixed tag, that's fine. Um, so, so that's my my pick is Miz winning with with Maurice interference. 
Man, the dogs are all over this episode yeah. of Getting Over Wrestling. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough day. Wife's not here today. Yeah. It's like you see them dogs out in the front yard just knowing the podcast studio. We going hard. Bing bong. Anyway, let's move on with the rest of the show. Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch versus Liv Morgan. So we were on the opposite sides of Edge versus Miz. I don't want to overlook yes. that. So that's good. Um, Becky Lynch versus Liv Morgan. Zero build on Raw. Neither of them were there. We got a really good video package, but we in the middle this, of in the middle of the priest Dolph thing. In the middle of the priest Dolph thing, right? Um, it was good. It was a good video package, though. Yeah, no, it was just like it, it's a, it's a, it's again. It's telling us who Liv Morgan is. That's exactly what. That's exactly what you got to do with those things. Yeah. So just like with the Edge and Miz match, I I legitimately believe this can go both ways. I do. Um, you know, Becky won the first match. She cheated to win. And that really creates an opening here for Liv Morgan to come back over on top and win her first uh, title in WWE. I don't believe she even had ever the women's tag team championship. So she's never had anything. Um, you know, Becky, it bounces back in my mind when she gave up the Raw Women's Championship. Uh, that whole storyline with Liv about, you know, it wasn't really a storyline. It was something that Liv kind of brought up in a backstage promo, they made it into a storyline over the last couple of months uh, of Becky basically telling Liv, you know, I hope that when I come back a year from now, you're Raw Women's Champion. I'd love to fight you in that situation. And it does feel to me like Becky came back and went over to Raw and almost kind of said, I want to work with Liv. I want to make this storyline feud happen. Maybe even I want to put her over and give her the title. The problem with booking Liv Morgan to win this match is looking ahead to WrestleMania. Because again, we're only three months away. So are you going to do with the Raw Women's title like they just recently did when Nikki Ash won it and immediately lost it? Um, do you do that again? Do you have Liv Morgan win the title, establish her as someone who can be champion, but then she loses it at the Royal Rumble to Becky? You know, I can definitely see that happening uh, where she gets a one month title reign and moves on. And then you set up, I don't know, I guess. Becky and Bianca Belair again for WrestleMania. The other option is Liv wins the title and retains it and goes into Mania as champion. I don't see that working. I don't see how WWE would have her be the Raw Women's Champion going into Mania. And the third option is just that she loses and falls right back in line. And I can certainly see that happening. So yeah, I'm of a mixed mind, Chris. I, I, I kind of want to just go out on a limb even though it sounds a little bit crazy. And I think, uh, yeah, screw it. I think Liv Morgan's going to win the Raw Women's Championship at day one. There it is. You've been, you, you've been high on Liv for a while. And I just think, I, I just think it makes booking sense to do it. Like uh, if, if Becky beats everyone, like, like then you're just, then she goes to fight Belair and Belair is the one that, that conquers her. It just seems like she can never lose. And if, and if Liv Morgan never wins, then you're never doing anything with her. You're never establishing her or moving her up the card. It seems like this is their only chance to do that. That's that's what it comes down to for me. Well, your, your key phrase there was booking sense. And yeah, I know. <laughs> how often does that come into play? I, I, I'm picking Becky here. I really liked the last match between Liv and Becky. I loved the video package before it. I was really into it. Crowd was less into it. It was really bad crowd at that pay-per-view. Um or whatever it was, was it pay-per-view? What, it? when they had the title match? It was a Raw. Yeah, 
It was a raw. Yeah, crowd crowd was not into it. I don't know why. I like the match. The the promo she cut in the ring did not go over well, but clearly they're giving her another title match so that they think something of her. But I think that we're building to what you said, which is Bianca, Becky, uh, championship match at WrestleMania. And I would love Liv Morgan wins and Becky takes it back next month. I was a big fan of them doing that in the Attitude Era. Lots of title changes, um, but I don't think they're going to do it. I think Becky's going to win. The other thing that we're not really considering when it comes to WrestleMania, which we should talk about, is we have Asuka and we have Bailey, two massive names in this women's division. Currently out, injured, recovering. We don't have statuses on either of them. Bailey, it was believed, could potentially be ready close to WrestleMania, not necessarily close to the Royal Rumble. Asuka, I have to believe, is probably ready to come back and maybe she makes her re-debut at the Royal Rumble. That would make a lot of sense, makes her return there. So there are other options that can be created for the Raw Women's Championship, for the SmackDown Women's Championship, than simply doing Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch again. But it really does feel like they've been kept separate, even though it's only been like a month or two months, on purpose. Like they're trying to like have Belair beat some other people, feud with some other people, and have Becky go in a different direction. I I just, yeah, I'm going to stick with Liv winning the title here. I agree that it seems counter to what WWE would do, which would be just have Becky win, have her get into a feud with another baby face, have her beat them, you know, have it a third time, have her beat that person and then face Bianca Belair at WrestleMania. Like that's most likely what's going to happen. But I think a one month hiccup where Becky wins the title a couple of weeks later at Royal Rumble and then maybe Liv gets to enter the Royal Rumble after that and get, gets a shot in the match, even though she doesn't win. I think that could make some sense. So yeah, I'm going to stick with... um Liv winning the title, I think it's very likely she doesn't. But, you know, let's let's be a little bit different here. I, I, I'd love it, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so the WWE Championship, we have what was first a singles match, Big E versus Seth Rollins, morph into a fatal four-way with Kevin Owens and Bobby Lashley. So on Raw, E cut a passionate promo from home about restarting his life at age 23 with a lot of hard work. It was more real than like any promo he's cut in the ring in forever. And I mm-hmm. like that KO backstage changed Kevin Patrick's name to Burt and basically said <laughs> he outsmarted Lashley last week and would win the title at day one. Rollins also cut a promo from home saying KO can take all the credit for last week because he's focused on the title. KO then hit the ring for what seemed like a completely improvised promo where he didn't even forget the script, which I don't think Owens is normally scripted, but it seemed like he didn't even have bullet points. They just told yeah. him to go out there and like waste five minutes on the mic. Mm-hmm. And he did. He did waste time. It was not good. Lashley also wasn't there. So MVP answered and read a text from Lashley. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin then came out and the Titan Tron said her business and they were wearing black and gold and MVP acted as if they weren't part of the hurt business anymore or that they were the hurt business, but Lashley and MVP weren't part of it. And that even though they came out to help Lashley like a few weeks ago, that that didn't mean anything. It was crazy. And then KO, like everyone's mumbling and like trying to get through the promo and KO just cuts through all the bullshit and on the mic gave the entire storyline of what would have happened in the ensuing five minutes of a promo and just ended the storyline. The whole thing was a mess. Then we get KO versus Cedric Alexander. Owens easily beats him with a pop-up powerbomb and a stunner in a couple of minutes. Then he stunned Benjamin at the end. 
So the first three promos here, the two taped promos and KO's backstage promo, all really good building towards a go-home pay-per-view given people could not appear on the show. All fine. But the entire second segment I just talked about with KO, MVP, Cedric, and, and Benjamin, absolutely horrendous. It didn't make a shred of sense. It it didn't make sense, but Kevin Owens at least made it entertaining and tolerable. Like there was a there was where MVP's reading the text and he says the word endomorphic. And Kevin Owens goes, there's no way he actually typed that. Like he would never, <laughs> ever say that. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was fun. That, yeah. Was, that was funny. His backstage bit with, with Kevin Patrick, he says, pick a new name. You have one week. And then he changes his name to Bert. Like, that's funny. That's honestly, that's why Kevin Owens works as either a tweener or a face a lot of the times, because he is very funny. If he's the heel, I don't know if he should be as funny, but it is, it is what it is. I think a, a big issue with this, Crowd didn't react to much of it, like you like it, for the reasons you laid out, and I think a big part of that was because it was again a heel versus heel thing, where we're not supposed to cheer when someone says something and boo when someone says something because we're rooting against both of them to lose to Big E in theory. So that was kind of a mess. Um, it was a mess. It was entertaining, honestly. Given the whole you know shortage of people, got to come up with some stuff on the fly. I would have loved if they just kind of built the whole show around Kevin Owens doing stuff. Like he's that talented. I think you could do a million things with him. That's why when he resigned, I thought it was very, very important that WWE did that because he can do stuff like this. He can get you through things that are normally boring and don't make sense and at least make them a little bit entertaining. And that's what he did here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Owens is exceptionally talented, um, but even he couldn't, and as far as I'm concerned, save that second segment. So look, as far as this match goes, I have felt for weeks now that they were setting this up for Biggie to lose the title. And then on Monday, not seeing the other guys there, not having Rollins in attendance, Rollins potentially not being available, Lashley, who didn't even show his face, potentially not being available. Um, it kind of makes me wonder exactly what this is going to look like on Saturday and who's going to come out on top. I think Lashley winning would be the biggest mistake. This guy just had a dominant title run. You, you know, effectively took him out of the title picture and kind of knocked him down a little bit with the Goldberg feud, which he needed to build himself back up. But even then you have him just go through and beat Seth Rollins, Owens and Big E all a little bit circumstantial and get himself into this match. And you're like, well, why would you do that if you're not going to have the guy win the match? Maybe Vince McMahon and WWE see Lashley finally as the beast that he always should have been booked as, the uh, Brock Lesnar equivalent for the other brand, right? Um, and if that is your mentality, then I could see a situation where they put the title on Lashley and have him take it all the way into WrestleMania with a baby face, whether it's Big E or Finn Balor or AJ Styles, taking the title off of him. I can, I can see that happen. Owens... I think a lot of people, because he re-signed, they believe he's going to come out of this with the championship. And I think a case can be made for that because if you're building for a pay-per-view, uh, a major pay-per-view like WrestleMania, you want someone who can go on the mic and Owens can go on the mic and he can sell a pay-per-view match. So I do think there's a case for him. Rollins, he can go on the mic just like Owens, maybe not as good, but still there. Also fantastic in the ring. And we know 
throughout his entire career, he has made a fantastic heel champion. And then you have Big E, who really just won the title and has had a completely, completely lackluster um, title reign to this point. So I'm going to narrow my four down to two, which is Rollins and Big E. And I'm going to say it like this. If Rollins is cleared and he's in the match, I think Seth Rollins wins the WWE Championship. If Rollins is not cleared, or if it's pretty obvious that during the match, they kind of take him out of it early, you know, just to kind of not have him truly involved for one reason or another, health reasons or whatever the case, then I think the other option would be Big E retaining the title. Those are really the only two ways I see it going. The the big part of this is, do you assume whoever comes out of this with the title will carry it into WrestleMania? Um, I think they should. Yeah. I like, we're always, uh, you want to have someone with championship momentum in Mania. It doesn't want to be a, a quick thing. Like, Although, like, know, like, Lash, la- like the, them, Lashley, doing, them doing the double title change last year with Miz cashing in and then Lashley winning it. It made that match with, with, uh, McIntyre far less exciting than it otherwise yeah. should have been. What they should have done considering Lashley won the Mania match they should have had McIntyre take the title into Mania and then have Lashley beat him for the title. Have a heel go over a face if you want. So, you know, I think they did it too quick last year. If you made the title change, if you changed it back, let's say, or had someone else win it at the Royal Rumble, I think you'd still have enough time. But even then, you only really have two, a little bit under two and a half months to build for Mania coming out of the Royal right. Rumble, considering it's the last week of January this year. So I right. do think... And, and we- I do think whoever wins this here should take the title into Mania. And, and this was originally going to be Big E versus Seth, so I can understand why why you think Seth. I'm down to, I think, either Big E or Lashley wins. And I'm not sure which, even if I was booking it, I'm not sure which one I would do because Big E has not had any notable championship wins. He needs some of them. So that's why a big part of me is like, I want Big E to carry the title into WrestleMania because he needs to feel like a champion going into WrestleMania, and he doesn't. And if he loses this, then he had a lackluster title run, and then him winning at WrestleMania doesn't mean as much because he already won the title. We already we, saw we that did. he, he as s- champion, isn't that exciting and impressive. We saw right. the big Big E moment. So I think we get Big E win. I think Big E wins this match. I think... We, I think we get to Lashley Big E perhaps at, at Mania. Um, and I think maybe he even loses it at Mania. I'm not sure. But I think Big E wins this because I think he needs he needs wins. And I, I don't know how they felt about his championship brain, but I'm going to go with Big E. Yeah, let me just say, I think it's far more plausible that he retains the title now than I did even as late as last week. It mm-hmm. feels like it's moving more in the direction of him retaining, especially after that promo on Monday. It, it kind of felt to me like they're putting, maybe maybe the booking this whole time has been, we're just going to put as much adversity in front of this guy as possible. And he's going to retain. And maybe the other thing is that they didn't want to w- waste Rollins as a one-on-one competitor. Maybe they want that match to be the Royal Rumble match, Biggie and Rollins. Or maybe they want that to be the WrestleMania match. So I do think there's a couple different directions that they could go. I'm kind of talking myself now into choosing Big E to retain the title. Um, I'm going <laughs> to stay with what I said, though. 
We've had a good streak of being on the opposite sides for a lot of these. Yeah, I think I'm going to be on the losing side of all these. I just want to clarify. Like, I I believe you're on the right side. It's coming from the the heart, and that's okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I just, I'm I'm trying to think of like, you know, you go into a pay-per-view and even though, yes, sometimes predictable things are good, you don't want a major pay-per-view to be completely predictable. So I'm trying to pick a couple spots where things surprise people. You know what I mean? I, so far, I've picked a, uh, so far I've picked every champion to retain. So maybe right. that won't happen. Right. I figure. It, 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 I figure in this want, show, they want to make, make it a big show. So I figure in this show, someone has to win the titles. And look, maybe maybe that's as simple as New Day beating the Usos. We know Migos is going to be there. Maybe they do a fun thing with Migos and New Day. Yeah. Like I could see a scenario where they do that. Um, and and maybe all the main titles, the three main titles, stay. But it does feel like this is a pay per view. You know, a lot of times they'll change titles at Royal Rumble ahead of WrestleMania. But it seems like this is an even better spot to do that. You're starting off the year with a new champion. You come into Raw on Monday. Maybe you have a reason to tune in. Uh, Maybe you have two reasons to tune in. If Liv Morgan and Seth Rollins are suddenly the champions, right? Oh, wow. Let's see what happens on Raw. WWE, let's not forget, is still competing with the NFL for, I think, two weeks longer than normal. They're going to have a Raw going up against a wildcard playoff game two Mondays from now, which WWE has never had to worry about before. So maybe they are trying to kind of like book to make sure the next couple of Raws are super strong before the NFL fades away and before they go into WrestleMania season. But I don't know. Um, I do think the way I kind of parsed it with Rollins and E, I do think it goes in one of those two directions. Finally, Chris, the main event of the show, clearly the Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending against Brock Lesnar on SmackDown, the best part of SmackDown. Paul Heyman was disheveled and unshaven in an interview, sit-down interview with Kayla Braxton. He told Kayla that all he did was tell Reigns the truth, but Reigns embarrassed him publicly. He kept saying publicly to kind of like emphasize that he didn't like that it was done in that manner. Heyman said he went backstage to explain to Reigns after SmackDown last week, but all of his shit was thrown out of the locker room like he was a rookie. He said Reigns is the greatest universal champion of all time, but needs to be protected from Lesnar. Heyman didn't think that he could start from scratch, like with someone from NXT and rejuvenate or revitalize his career. So he kind of admitted his career might be over. And before the main event, WWE also aired an incredible video package on Heyman's entire career. And this is just more proof that no one in wrestling is better at stuff like this than Paul Heyman. He did a similar crying promo for Lashley, or not Lashley, Lesnar, uh, a few years ago. And just like with this one, that one was a grand slam as well. So Heyman absolutely crushed it. As far as the match goes, you know, I don't know exactly what they're going to do here. Ultimately, I believe the booking will be Roman Reigns retaining the title. Unless there is something that's happening with this COVID and Reigns decides to step away from the company again and take a break because he doesn't like WWE's policies or because he just wants to be careful because he's immunocompromised. Unless there is some additional factor and and that can change things. If they're just booking it like normal, the plan going in a couple of weeks ago, I have to believe it was for Roman Reigns to retain the title. And as I said, my belief is that Heyman ends up walking out with Lesnar as his uh, advocate once again. And then over the course of the match, even though Heyman usually does not get involved in matches, turns on him and creates a situation where Reigns gets the upper hand and beats Brock Lesnar. Whether it's via DQ, via roll-up, via whatever the case. I think Reigns walks out of here with the title, and I think Heyman plays a significant role. And next Friday, 
uh, not this Friday, but next Friday, the Friday after New Year's, we find out that he is still the special advocate or uh, sorry, what's his title now? Special counsel. Special counsel to the universal champion, Roman Reigns. Yeah, there's a lot of ways it could go. I'm. I'm also picking Roman to retain because, like I've said, I think I think we're going to get Drew Roman at WrestleMania. Um, I like the idea of Heyman coming out with Lesnar. I, I had said last week that, um, you know, after Lesnar kind of rescued Heyman, I was hoping Lesnar was just going to, like, pick Paul up on his shoulder and carry him out or something like that. <laughs> I thought that would have been pretty cool. But coming out of last Friday, we still don't really know where Paul is. He said his career might be over and now that could lead to a swerve or surprise of some kind but i like the idea of lesnar coming out with Heyman. Heyman does something to cost brock the match roman doesn't take Heyman back brock f5s Heyman, and then we don't see him for months or something like that i i think that'd be a way to kind of have brock lose but also kind of go out with a moment or something like that i don't know but um i don't know paul Heyman has done such a good job with everything with the Roman stuff now with the Lesnar stuff he's straddled that line so incredibly well the interview with Kayla Braxton was so good just and we we know the history between him and Kayla and he plays off of that you know you're happy to have seen it happen to me I could I could tell you were happy when you said that um the the cameras the the slow camera zooms onto Heyman when he was saying certain things whole thing was just incredibly well done. That That's that's some of the best stuff WWE always does. Um, but I, I think Heyman is involved in some kind at this pay-per-view. I don't know how, but I do think Roman comes out as, as champion in the end. Does, does Heyman lead to that win? Maybe. Maybe. Right now, I'm going to give you three choices for WrestleMania. Okay? Tell me which match you think we get. Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar versus Drew McIntyre. Oh. Ooh. That comes down to who else does Brock fight at Mania? And... He could fight Drew. And Reigns could fight someone completely different. But who? I have no idea. There's no one on Rumble. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The good thing about booking is that anyone can win the Royal Rumble. So you could have AJ Styles win and go and choose Roman yeah, Reigns. Like, theoretically, I, I, anyone could fight Reigns. Big E could win. Uh, he could, he could, Big E could lose the WWE Championship at day one, win the Royal Rumble, and challenge Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. I think Drew is going to win the Rumble and face Roman. But where does that leave Brock? I don't know. Isn't he already technically allowed to be on both rosters? Or was that just... Only when he was a free agent. I, I, I the whole thing was convoluted this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you you know. could you could easily just have Brock show up on Raw if you wanted him to do something. Could you, know you imagine? I, this is not going to happen. Look, wait, hold on, hold on, happen. I don't want to forget what, this. I don't want to forget what, this. I don't want to forget yeah, this. Yeah, go ahead. But could you imagine? This will will not happen, and I I pray to God it does not happen. But could you imagine Brock Lesnar showing up on Raw and beating Big E for the title in five seconds? I could see it. I could see it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, I would love saying. to see if I'm booking the territories here. I think we do Drew Roman um, in, in one. And I, I don't know how exactly set up, but I would love to see Brock versus Lashley at Mania. So would I. Um, but imagine, apparently imagine, they say that's never going to happen. Never, 
yeah, a match we've never gotten. We've we've heard it would never happen. It probably won't happen. But, you know, I'm just thinking if Brock was to just who could he fight on Raw? Like that could work. Other than that, I don't know. I I I don't um I'm gonna say I'm gonna pick I'm gonna go with your triple threat. The Brock Drew Roman. I think it's it's a huge money match. They clearly are a lot more open to triple threats. The last two manias with fans have ended with a triple threat. So And good ones at that, you know. And good ones. So I'll I'll say, I, I think we'll get Drew Brock Roman. And I think we can get there by having Brock lose via shenanigans here. The other option is you could have Brock win the title, like literally take it off Reigns here. Um, Reigns obviously would be do a rematch and Oda rematch, and he could easily get that at Mania because he's Reigns. He's, you know, the tribal chief. And then you have Drew win, win the Royal Rumble, and you set it up that way with Lesnar as champion, um, and you kind of go in the opposite direction. But I think I do think either way, that triple threat seems to me to be the most likely WrestleMania booking because if it's not that, I don't know who Drew McIntyre is facing unless right. he's challenging whoever the Raw champion is. And again, the Raw roster is so stacked where honestly, man, this fatal four-way that we have, I, I prefer singles matches at WrestleMania. Don't get me wrong. I'd much prefer like Biggie versus Rollins, flat out WrestleMania, nothing else. But this match at day one feels like it maybe should have been the WrestleMania match. We're like, you have him face Rollins and Owens gets involved. Then he faces Owens and Lashley gets involved. And then he faces Lashley and Owens gets involved. And, and then you wind up with having three people with legitimate claims to challenge Big E. And then you put that match together at WrestleMania. It feels like they maybe did it in the reverse order. So I, I do think with this being the first pay-per-view of 2022, it does create a really unique scenario where... In some of these matches, even though I think we think we know what's going to happen, I don't know for sure. Like WWE could legitimately swerve us in those three main events. There could be three title changes. There could be zero title changes. And I like that excitement, that idea that I just don't know what's going to happen going in. Even like when you think back to, um, I forgot what the match was with Demon Finn Balor and uh, Roman Reigns. I think it was Extreme Rules maybe. But going in, like we both on this podcast came up with the scenario where like it made all the sense in the world for Balor to win. And it would have been a great moment and people would have been crazy for it. But I think we both knew going into the show, Roman Reigns was going to retain the title, right? Here coming into this pay-per-view, I have no idea who's walking out as WWE champion. And I think I know who's going to win the Raw Women's Championship and the Universal Championship, but I don't know for sure. And that is to me a good pay-per-view when you go in and you just don't know what's going to happen in every single match, even if the pay-per-view hasn't been built that well. Yeah, no, I, in, in adding in getting our picks wrong, doesn't mean it was bad booking. Absolutely. And that's always, right. that's always important to remember as we do our analysis after the show. hundred percent. No question about that. Okay. So lastly here, because this is the ultimate preview, it is time for us to give our pre-show expectation grades. Now for listeners, you know, all you need to do is follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And one hour before the show begins, we will release a poll. You can vote and give us your pre-show expectation grades. You can also vote at the end of the show for your post-show grade, all by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So Chris, I always let you go first when we come with these grade segments here. What is your expectation grade, your pre-show grade for this pay-per-view, day one? 
this is this is going to be assuming we get all the matches that we have on the on the card. I I really like on paper a lot of these matchups. The the fatal four way for the WWE Championship and the Universal Championship those are absolute hundred percent main event matches. RK Bro Street Profits should be good. Edge versus Miz should be good. Pretty much everything but Drew versus Madcap Moss is a match I'm looking forward to. So I I'm gonna say I'm gonna say an A minus. I, I think this is a really strong card. They've built it pretty well, you know, the go homes notwithstanding. And these are a lot of matches I'm interested in watching. So I'm gonna say A minus. I'm right there with you. I think it's a strong card. The card on its own, like if you were just evaluating it based on the strength of the matches is probably an A minus card. But coming into it, the Raw Tag Team Championship was not built well at all. I mean, there's basically no storyline. The SmackDown one wasn't built well at all. McIntyre Moss, I don't care about. That to me really makes it a four match card. And even though I think all the matches, the four, the four main matches can be exceptionally good, I don't know that they're all going to deliver to an A range, which is really what you need in order to get an A pay-per-view. So I'm going to be slightly below you. My expectation grade coming in is a B plus, but I certainly think it has an extremely high ceiling. If this is booked well, yeah. yep. then this can be, it can start off the year as the tentpole pay-per-view where you say everything else for the rest of the year has to match day one. Whereas right now mm-hmm. we come back out of 2021 and we basically are saying that about Crown Jewel, which was a shocker, Money in the Bank uh, was up there as one of the better pay-per-views as well. So this does have a chance to set the tone for 2022. It's a Saturday pay-per-view coming at the end of a very long day of college football for both of us. I think we're both really excited for the show, but we're a little bit apprehensive given how exhausted we're going to be throughout the day. So on that note, now that you have our pre-show grades, uh, you know, we like to do the uh, live pre-shows for WWE pay-per-views on Twitter spaces. We normally do them 6.30 p.m. Eastern. All you need to do is follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I, I want to promote that we're going to do it at the same time because uh, Saturday is such a busy day for both Chris and I from a work perspective. I cannot guarantee that we're going to have the show. So what I need to, you guys to do is follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and simply pay attention. And I will try to give you as much advance notice as possible. We'll set the calendar recording um, so that way you guys can basically know it's coming up and you can sign up to receive an alert when it does go live. But I would say as of right now, the plan is going to be that we will have a WWE Day 1 pre-show live on Twitter Spaces, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Saturday. So be sure to follow us on Twitter and get prepared for that. Of course, as soon as the pay-per-view goes off the air Saturday night, we will absolutely, definitely have WWE Day 1 instant analysis right here for you on the podcast feed, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. As far as what's still to come, Later this week, we will be back shortly with our 250th episode, which will also be the 2021 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. Then we will be back on Thursday with our NXT and AEW show, which will be our final episode of 2021. I appreciate you guys listening to this podcast for another year. As I said, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Join us for those Twitter Spaces shows, or the Twitter Spaces show, I should say, uh, on Saturday before the pay-per-view. Also, don't forget the Getting Over Wrestling podcast.
So please leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please, if you listen to us on Spotify, it takes you five seconds to click the five stars and leave us a rating. We're 33 away from getting featured. I'd really appreciate it if you guys do that. And really, that is it. We will see you twice more this week before 2021 is out. The Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. the Meaties, are on the way. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is Silver King Adam Silverstein, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.